This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and you're watching Talkie Book and today we're lucky to be joined by Michael Goldberg from Collins Street Value Fund. Michael, returning guest, thanks very much for coming back on the show. Chris, always a pleasure. Now, we've got a gold stock to speak about shortly, but it's look, it's incredibly, incredibly topical at the minute, gold, because it's just about the only sector that's ripping. So I thought maybe we could start with a, a bit of a brief overview of, of the gold market and, and what would have been the catalyst for change. So we might start with the changes to central bank policy that we've seen over in the US. How are you reading that and how material do you think that's going to be going forward? Look, I'm always hesitant putting too much weight into central bank policy. I know that we tend to fawn over every sentence and every word um, of central bank um, announcements, but when push comes to shove, they're fallible as well, they're humans as well. You know, it wasn't that long ago that the RBA said there won't be any interest rates until 2024. And that was the case until it wasn't. Um, until about two weeks ago, the Fed were saying we're going to continue to increase rates for the foreseeable future until all of a sudden we've seen the issues that we've seen in the banking sector. And so that's turned around as well. Look, I think one of the challenges for central banks is that they are a hammer. They have one policy that they can, that they can impact. And so to a hammer, every issue looks like a nail. Um, I think typically it tends to take 12 plus mm. months for the impact of whatever they do to flow into the markets in ordinary times. Um, and I think perhaps the advantage, if you could say there's a good thing that's coming out of the current, uh, the current circumstances, is that we'll probably now see a bit of a pause um, and, and, and give the market a moment to, I suppose, digest what we've seen over the last nine months and perhaps see a bit more, a bit more clarity on the other side to, to really understand what the impact is going to be of, of these massive rate rights. And unless you've been living under a rock, you'd be aware that there's been a banking crisis in the US that, that's now spilled over into Europe as well. How are you reading that? Do you think it will be contained in the US to the regional banks? Do you think it's done or do you think there's, there's more to play out from here? Look, it's, it's a really interesting question. I think as an Australian, when we hear um, the headline of a bank falling over, it's awfully frightening. It's not the sort of thing that we've had much experience with in Australia. I think in America, it's much more common than people perhaps recognize. Um, I think if it was a regional bank in the middle of the Midwest, no one would really care about it. We wouldn't really be hearing about it. But given that Silicon Valley Bank is a pretty big bank, I think it's the 16th largest in the state, given that it's on the West Coast and given its massive exposure to a lot of growth stocks and Silicon Valley type businesses, I think it's really caught the headlines. But I think it's worth pointing out that there are a couple of specific things about um, Silicon Valley Bank that are distinct to it and, and perhaps the contagion might not be quite as bad as we might imagine it could be. Um, I think firstly, their customers um, are almost like a monolith. Um, they tend to move in unison. They're one sort of type of, um, of, 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 of banker. And that being VC founders Correct. and investors. Tech stocks, growth stocks, new stocks, you know, those the sorts of businesses that are looking for growth capital. Um, I think they're also very well informed. And so when a bank run starts, it spreads very, very quickly. I think the other challenge specifically for SVB is that they saw exceptional growth over the last few years. And so ordinarily, if you're a normal bank and you start to see more inflows into your, into your deposits, you could allocate that capital appropriately to different sorts of investment classes and, 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 and different spaces and sectors. I think the problem for 
um, SVB was that they grew so quickly and they all of a sudden found themselves with so many deposits. They had to find a quick and easy place to put them. And of course, they put them in government bonds at 1% per annum. Now, the problem there, of course, is, you know, if, if you wait until maturity, there's no issue with, 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 with their balance sheet. The problem is a liquidity issue. And so when a bank run began and all of a sudden they were forced to fulfill those deposit requests, they had to go into the market and sell these bonds that at maturity would be worth, you know, $100,000, but given the rapid rate of interest rate increases, those things were down 30, maybe even 40% in some cases. So all of a sudden a liquidity problem turned into a capital problem. And that's why we've seen government intervention um, in SVB, in, 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 in um, Silicon Valley Bank specifically. And there's even talk about guaranteeing um, deposits across the entire banking sector in America. So. I'm not sure I like that idea. I think there's always that moral hazard if you're if you're if you're backing up banks um, for their mistakes. But um, it's probably the lesser of evils to see some stability in the sector rather than to see ongoing confusion and contagion. And we've got a new acronym being introduced by the U.S. Uh, Central Bank, uh, BTFP, I believe, is the the recent one. I only know. <laughs> I only know what some of the nicknames people are given. I don't know what it actually stands for, but it basically means we're going to buy your bonds that are underwater at par. I know. can believe it. And it's got a one-year period currently, but maybe talk through the potential ramifications if that temporary program gets extended into a permanent program and, and if it potentially could one day end up fulfilling the role of QE, albeit in a different name and with the bonds initially being bought by the commercial banks, whilst the government ended up ends up providing a level of asymmetry, e.g. if they go underwater, we'll buy them back off you at par, and if they don't, you'll continue to fund our deficits. Yeah. Look, are we going to pretend that the banking system in America has a moral compass? Because I think the outcome will be different depending on, on what you decide. But assuming, assuming a moral compass, hopefully this will be a, a process that gets them through and everything will be fine on the other side. But it's uh, all more than that. It's really just becoming an extension of the US government is what it's starting to look like, don't you think? Well, they're buying back bad debts, basically. I mean, I feel like... I feel like we're getting echoes of 2008 over here. Um, it feels to me like the banks get a free kick. If they, if they manage to pick the, the direction of interest rates correctly, then they'll make a profit. And if they don't, they can just go and sell their bonds back to the Fed. Um, so yeah, it, it does have a feel of QE. Um, it does make me quite nervous when we start to see these sorts of things. Again, it'll probably bring calm to the market and that's the intent. But in terms of, of, of rewarding certain types of behavior, if you keep rewarding the banking system um, for poor behavior, then you can imagine they're going to continue to behave in the same way. So it is a worry. It is a worry, but it's the world we live in. That's right. When, you, when people say the Silicon Valley executives that chose to add duration risk when the other side of the, the, the balance sheet was really highly speculative loans to, to VC and, and tech startups, I mean, they do that because they know they're going to get bailed out, or they usually are, and I, I guess... These decisions just continue to reinforce that. But enough about that. Uh, you're obviously starting a gold fund separate to Collins Street Value Fund. So you, you obviously believe it, it is a, an interesting sector, not just for a, a trade over the next three months, but I guess for, for a longer term period than that. Yeah. I mean, the truth is that we were talking about this for quite some time and probably didn't intend to launch it for a few months at the very least. Um, our thinking basically was that, you know, gold obviously acts as a pretty good security safety net against stupidity and distrust. Um, but it, it, it performs especially well when you find yourself in, in negative real rates sort of environments. So our thinking was that inflation is, I wouldn't call it quite out of control, but it's certainly high by historical basis. Um, 
the feds and the central banks are doing their best to increase rates to, to p potentially bring down that inflation rate. But our feeling was that consumers would sort of reach a point and the, the, you know, the, 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 the business world would reach a point at which they couldn't stomach additional rates, uh, rate rises. And our initial sense was that we would wait until the, the feds and central banks of the world didn't raise rates anymore and sort of came to terms with the higher rate of inflation for the medium to long term. We thought that would be a few more months. Um, at the least. But of course, the bank collapses both in the US and Europe have brought that to a head. Um, I think I mentioned to you earlier, you know, we were going to see rate rises for the foreseeable future until all of a sudden we're not talking about that anymore. You know, the Fed came out and said likely to be a pause. Um, this talk now of when the uh, when rate cuts might happen. So it's a very different environment today relative to what it was just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't think what we're seeing is is surprising in terms of an eventual shift. I just think the, the, the rapidity of, of that shift has come quicker than we expected. And so we're looking to take advantage. Um, we're looking to get set in a basket of gold companies, both local and globally. And we think that over the next couple of years, it's likely to do quite well. And we will get to your stock pick in one second. But do you think the Fed were raising rates to squash inflation or raising rates enough to still make their treasury look investable whilst maintaining inflation so that it can eventually inflate away their debt to GDP issue? That is a good question, actually. We've talked about, we've talked about um, inflating away their debt um, as a process within the office. Um, to suggest that that's the case is, is it's an uncomfortable proposition, um, especially for borrowers, especially for lenders rather. That's right, that's um, right. I'm not clear on what the Fed's mandate is. I know in Australia, the Reserve Bank's mandate is to manage inflation. And I believe that's the primary goal of the Fed as well. I think with a secondary consideration to, to, the, to the general environment, the general Full economic environment. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say, at the risk of sounding like a dupe, that no, they were just looking to <laughs> get inflation <laughs> under control. But, but being a suspicious type, um, I, I, at the back of my mind, uh, I do wonder. I like it. Well, let's get into your stock pick. Which stock did you want to dig, uh, dig deep into today? So it's a small cap company listed on the Australian market called Black Cat Syndicate, BC8 is a stock code. Um, they've got a market cap of about $100 million. Um, and it feels like just about every other week they come out with a resource upgrade and update. So they've really got three main mines and they're, they're all in, um, in WA. I don't know how your geography is. Mine was not great, but when I had a look at the map, I don't think you could find three mines all within the state of WA They were any further apart. You basically draw a triangle and they yeah. couldn't possibly be any further apart. So, you know, one's in Karatha, one's in Halls Creek and one's in Kalgoorlie. So literally the three ends, well, essentially three ends of, uh, of, of Perth. Now, I think as recently as about four or five weeks ago, they came out with an announcement after providing an update on their Coyote um, project, which is in Halls Creek, um, declaring to the market that they have two of the highest grade mines in the country, right? So they've got tier one assets in my mind in a tier one jurisdiction. We're talking about gold grades. I don't know if you, if, if you or your listeners or your watchers have much experience investing in gold, but to my mind, if you've got a resource that's generating uh, a gold grade of one and a half to two, to, to two grams per ton, that's, that's, that's economic. Mm -hmm. More than two grams is, is, is starts to get exciting and more than three, and you know, I'm not sure if you can call it a bonanza, but you're getting within those realms. I think bonanza would be thrown around. I think Bonanza a is a bit. very popular <laughs> word in some ASX announcements um, that I've seen recently. Um, so in their Paulson project, which is the one in Karatha, um, they've got about 250,000 ounces of resource, 
at a grade of, get this, almost 11 grams per tonne. Like, that is out of control. Impressive. Um, Coyote, which is out in the middle of nowhere near the Northern Territory, has about 350,000 tonnes um, at about 14, 14 and a half grams per tonne. So we're talking about mm. incredible gold grades. And it's not in the, well, it's, some of it is in the middle of nowhere, um, but they also, certainly Paulson and Coyote, have serious infrastructure already in place. So we're talking about you know, a business that expects to be able to ramp up in the next couple of years to about 150,000 ounces per year. They've got about two, 2.5 million um, uh, ounces in terms, of, in terms of resource. Management have done this all before. I mean, I, I'm sure we'll talk about management in a moment. They've aligned their interests with, with, with their investors. And, you know, from a valuation perspective, you know, certainly there are many ways that you can value gold stocks, but one of the popular ones is EV to ounces in the ground. And if you look at their competitors in the market in general in Australia, I think we tend to run at around about $80 per gram, uh, per, per ounce. Uh, um, Black Cat is trading at about 40, 44. Yeah. So if it were your average Australian listed company, it should probably on that basis be worth almost twice as much. My view is that it's not your average gold company. Again, I think management are very competent. I think the projects are very exciting. And again, recognizing that it's early stage small cap company, so there are risks inherent with that. Um, we quite like the business and I'm very excited to see what happens even in the next 12 months. And if we have a look at the, the price action provided by the market tech, tech graph, it looks like it's, looks like most small cap ASX gold developers, I mean, in that it's been trending downwards to sideways over the last 12 months. When you compare this to the, the larger cap gold co's that are, that are spinning out gold and spinning out cash flow, they're poles apart and the miners have generally missed out in this rally so far. Is that something you're seeing that's been common across a, a difference, if you like, between the larger cap gold producers and the, the smaller cap developers and explorers? Yeah, Chris, I think the so far is the key point here. Um, I think it always takes time for the market to come to grips with the likelihood of a gold rally being sustained. And so if you're looking at GOLD, which is essentially an ETF of gold, that tends to move in line with gold prices and you see the benefits straight away. Shortly after, you tend to see the impact on producing gold companies because they can get that gold to market, they can pour that gold and sell it at the new prices. For smaller cap companies, certainly that aren't quite at the stage of production, it does take a little bit longer. Markets have to get comfortable that that gold prices being high are going to be sustained high and perhaps go even higher. And what you tend to see, at least historically, and we all know that past performance is no guarantee of future results, um, but what you tend to see historically is that you get gold prices going up, then you get the big cap companies with production following in close pursuit. And then after a delay, you tend to see the smaller cap companies that really do have much more leverage than the bigger companies do because it's a lot, there's a lot of upside if gold prices do go up. Um, but it takes a little bit of time, I think, for the market to get comfortable that we're in a new environment where gold prices are moving higher um, and then to ascribe that value to those smaller cap companies. And you mentioned their Paulson's deposit and how high grade it is. I believe the initial high grade is underground component. Is the whole thing going to be underground or you expect it to be or will there be an open pit component down the track? So we had a chat with management a little while ago um, and their feedback was that they expect to have a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B depending on specific results they get back I think in May so not that far away. Um, those new results, those new upgrades or updates will sort of frame how they pursue things going forwards. It'll Im impact costs, it'll impact, it'll impact um, the, the way they go through the process. But certainly to my mind, I believe, having had those conversations, there'll be a little bit of underground, underground mining and there'll be a little bit of um, open pit mining. And talks, I believe they're, they're going to make the decision to mine Paulson's 
at the second half of this calendar year. Is that right? So again, I think my understanding is that it's dependent on the results they get in May. Yep. Um, so my expectation is that, yes, they'll make a decision at the back half of 2023, and that if everything goes according to schedule, they could be in production as early as the first half of 2024. Keeping in mind, both Paulson and Coyote, they're not brownfields. They're yeah. not starting from scratch. These are they, these are mines that have a long history. I mean, Paulson specifically, I thought was bought, I think was bought from um, Northern Star Gold. Um, they were producing as recently as a year and a half ago. Mm. So it's, you know, I'm not saying it's easy, certainly, but it's less difficult to turn on a mine that's been in care and maintenance than it is to start up something from scratch. And they've got the mill there and the production facilities and the roads and the, and the camps and all those other sorts of things that you need to have to really ramp things up. So, And I know you need more data to, or the company will need more data to give an exact figure, but just back of envelope sort of numbers, ballpark, what would it cost to, to switch Paulson's back on? You ask wonderful questions, Chris. <laughs> um, the answer is that I don't know what it's going to cost to ramp things back up. I don't even think management are quite sure yet. Again, I think that they're waiting on the results in May to sort of guide their decisions. Um, but I think it's important to remember, we're not talking about an unknown resource. So there will be opportunities to raise capital if it's needed um, from a multiple number of sources. They could do an offtake agreement, they could do a, a, a royalty agreement, they could do bank borrowing if they can get away with that. Mm. We're not big fans of equity raises, and I know they did an equity raise just a couple months ago, so they should be good until they need to make the next decision. Um, but if push comes to shove, and share prices go up and they're more appropriately priced, then yeah, an equity raise could potentially be on the draw on, on, on the cards as well. Um, I think we'll have a lot more clarity in about eight to 12 weeks. Beauty, mate. Well, it's a, a very opportune time to come back and sit back down with you and, and, uh, and learn about another Aussie gold play. Thanks very much for, for coming back on Talkie Bull. Chris, always my pleasure. Now, before I let you go, yes. if I might, um, my brother was tidying up his house um, just last week and he was going through some of the kids' toys, as you do from time to time. And um, him being a rabid St Kilda fan, he could not abide by other club little men, like little 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 men and yes. and flags being a part of his kids uh, his kids setup. And so he took a photo of a couple of these toys and said, "Does anybody have an interest?" And I said to myself, "You know what? <laughs> I might know someone who might have an interest." What have you got? This in, is unscripted, everyone. In, in, by the way, in, in one of these toys. And uh, I don't know how you can get this on camera, Chris, <laughs> but I bring this over to you. You wouldn't want to give that away. Look at that. <laughs> so it's, it's a Chris Judd footy Lego man um, with a pretty good drawing on the front and uh, number five and Judd on the Guernsey at the back. I reckon that would have gone up a lot in value too. That's a, that's a big error he's giving that away. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. The kids will love it. My pleasure. Cheers. Okay. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.